Hope you're having a very happy Sabbath and are delighted to be here with us. And certainly want to welcome any guests that we may have and welcome the people who may see this around the world in days to come. Here we are, late summer, early autumn, and enjoying just a lovely day. And I'm really interested in history, and I'm sure that many of you are as well. So as we begin today, let's, let's take a look backward. Let's look back a little bit. In the last decade of the 19th century, on the Tug Fork of the Big Sandy River, an obscure region on the border of West Virginia and Kentucky, a family named Hatfield lived on both sides of the Little River. Now, the river could be forded easily most of the year. Now, on the other side of the river lived a family named McCoy. Now, these were hill people. They were isolated. They were clannish. Now, the Confederate Hatfields lived near the Unionist McCoys. Now, it seems that amid these tense feelings that a dispute arose about the ownership of a Razorback hog, something we Arkansans can relate to. A jury now, when it got to court, awarded the contested hog to the Hatfield claimant. But the McCoys were unsatisfied with the judgment. They didn't like the way that that worked out. After the trial, one of the key witnesses, a Hatfield, was found shot to death. Such were the strong feelings of the people that made up these families. Now, there also seems to have been a, rom a romance angle to the story. It seems that Roseanne McCoy gave birth to a child by Jonathan Hatfield in 1881 without the benefit of matrimony, which further aggravated the situation between these two families. Now, the bad feelings erupted on Election Day in 1882 when the whiskey ran freely, as was often the case in those days. Tolbert McCoy, with a snoot full of liquor, challenged Ellison Hatfield. And a lot of the family got involved in the beating and cutting and shooting that ensued. Now, Ellison took the brunt of it, and uh, two days later he died from his wounds. Now, his three brothers captured several of the McCoys, and after the death of their brother, these McCoys were found bound and shot to death. This blood feud went on for many years, with much suffering and death on both sides, in both families, over a long period of time. You know, this story is part of our folklore and our history, but it's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture at all. But you know, it's not that uncommon down through history to see those things happening. You all know the word feud. The encyclopedia will tell you that a feud is a long-continued state of hostility between two social groups, such as tribes, clans, or families. Feuds are generally motivated by an initial episode involving an insult or an injury that must be avenged, and frequently this continues even after the event that triggered the hostilities has passed out of memory of all the participants. Once the feud starts, it's self-perpetuating, you see. It goes on and on. Now, the Bible records a bloody feud. Let's take a look at that when we look at the story of Dinah. Turn back to Genesis 34. Genesis chapter 34. An interesting story, one that we can certainly learn lessons from, and yet not a pretty picture. Genesis 34. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this young woman as a wife. Things were different back then. <laughs> and Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field. When they heard it, the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. Certainly that's a true statement. It was a terrible thing that had been done. But Hamor spoke with him, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife. And make marriages with us. Give 
your daughters to us to make uh, our daughters and take our daughters to yourselves. So you shall dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me so much dowry and a gift. He said, Name your price, you see. And I will give you according to what you say to me, but give me the young woman as a wife. But the sons of Jacob, the other side of this dispute, you see, answered Shechem and Hamor his father and spoke deceitfully. The plot thickens. Because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to him, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, as they plotted, you see, we will consent to you. If you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. And the words pleased Hamor. And Shechem, Hamor's son. So the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. So at least he had a good attitude in this after doing this terrible thing. Verse 20, And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Therefore let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people, if every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Now here was their, they could see the profit motive here. Will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city heeded Hamor and Shechem, his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain, they weren't in really good shape, you see, at this point, that the two sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. They slaughtered them. And they killed Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field, and all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land. So we see as we read this story that a feud began and a terrible thing occurred. Turn over to Genesis 49 and we'll see what is said about Simeon and Levi as this prophecy of the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel here. Genesis 49 verse 5. Says Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitation. Hard men, cruel men, you see. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self will they hamstrung an ox. Another situation. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And so we see that that has happened. And there are certainly uh, people descended from Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi would be known for their cruelty. And thus we have uh, the story of that feud. As human beings, we have the capacity for very strong feelings. And unchecked, uncontrolled, we see what can happen in extreme cases. The Hatfields and McCoys the story of Simeon and Levi and their sister. Now, brethren, what lessons can we learn by analyzing these dark moments in human experience? How can we as Christians react to personal affronts, attacks, persecution, or just plain meanness from other people, even within the church? Can that happen? We're made up of human beings, and certainly it can.
God's Word has a lot to say about this, brethren, and that's what I want to look at this afternoon. If you want a title for this sermon, I've entitled it, Forgiving One Another. Now, let's recognize where these attitudes and actions come from. Turn back to Galatians. Turn back to Galatians chapter 5, words that you know by heart, but we'll look at them today in the light of what we're talking about. Galatians chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 16. Galatians 5, 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, as we saw in the story of dying. It all started, you see, with the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. These strong human feelings, you see, and emotions that we're talking about. And it starts out here with adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness. All the things that we see in society around us today. Talk about here. Jealousies. I'm sorry, idolatry. Sorcery. Hatred. You see hatred in the world today? Contentions. Jealousies. Outbursts of wrath. You know, we hear today about road rage. We hear about people going postal, just completely losing it and taking people's lives. We've certainly seen that in the awful tragedy this year in Wisconsin. Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. It goes on. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Where do these attitudes, where do these actions come from? From human nature, from the works of the flesh, as we see. Now, how can we as Christians avoid the human tendency that's within us, you see, to get involved in strife and contentions and feuds of any kind? Now, are there things that we can avoid doing and there are things which we should do to get along with others? So let's consider some points this afternoon. First of all, brethren, don't be a whisperer. Avoid gossip and tail-bearing. Turn back to Proverbs. We'll spend lots of time in Proverbs this afternoon. So much wisdom there. So often we find these matters referred to. There's so much in Scripture God has a lot to say about it, so we know that it's important. And we want to look at that today. Proverbs 16, verse 27. It says, Proverbs 16, 27, An ungodly man digs up evil. See, an ungodly person is looking for trouble. <laughs> Just looking for it. And it is on his lips. Like a burning fire. When someone like this finds something, they have to talk about it. Verse 28, a perverse man or woman or person here, if you want to be politically correct, a perverse person sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. It's important that we recognize that and brethren, not get sucked into a trap when people come with some juicy tidbit who has something to tell. You know, I've had this happen to me. Someone years ago came to me. I was getting ready in a church project to work with someone. And this person came to me and said, Do you know? And he had this juicy tidbit of a very negative nature about this person that I didn't really know very well at that point. And I listened to that. And then for some time, I kept this person at arm's length. I didn't trust him. I, didn't, I was wary about working with him. And then finally, when we were thrown together in a situation where I got to know him, I found that that juicy tidbit was wrong. And I had wasted time, and, and I had been unfair to this person because I had to listen, you see, to that, that negative comment that somebody had made. So, brethren, we should not get trapped into listening to those sorts of things. Going right on, now in Proverbs 17, Proverbs 17, verse 9, He who covers a transgression seeks love. As God's people, that should be our approach. Love meaning outgoing concern for others, being really concerned for the other person. But he who repeats a matter separates the best of friends. I'm sure if you think about your experience over a period of time, 
You know people who at once were close, and now there's a gulf between them. What happened? What happened? Very likely what happened here. Some kind of transgression came up. Something uh, uh, through gossip or whatever separated those people. And certainly it's, uh, it's a problem for them at that point. So as we think about this, uh, a rule for good human relations is to, is to not reveal all of those things. But love covers a transgression. Now, turn back. This is not just Old Testament uh, teachings or Hebrew, old Hebrew Bible teachings. Turn to uh, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 5. Paul talked about this in his writings to Timothy. 1 Timothy 5, 13. Now in context, as we read this, we'll see this is talking about and to young widows. But you know, men can be just as bad. So let's read this. 1 Timothy 5, 13. And besides, they learn to be idle wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. So here we see that this is not something that should be done. And I think the key word as we look here is idle. It means to not be engaged in a productive effort, you see, just having time on your hands and and, and doing something while you're idle that would cause harm to someone else, damage their reputation, or to, uh, saying things, as it says here, they ought not. Certainly men, women, young or old, as God's people, we should certainly avoid that kind of talk, that kind of activity. Let's go back to Proverbs again. Words of wisdom. I hope that you all spend a lot of time studying Proverbs, and I know that you do. It's a wonderful exercise, and so much is there to help us in our daily walk, both physically, in our business, in our relations with others, and certainly in spiritual matters as well. Proverbs 20, verse 19. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. You know, some things are on a need-to-know basis. <laughs> you don't have to tell everything you know. And yet, as human beings, we often want to do that. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. You see, a talebearer is dangerous. A flatterer, one who is insincere in comments and, and so on, someone who has an agenda, who's trying to manipulate you, that's, that is a, a dangerous situation. And we need to be on guard against that and certainly not do it ourselves and then not be manipulated or influenced by someone who is doing that kind of activity. Going right on in Proverbs, in chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 23. Here's a proverb that I'm sure you're familiar with. Proverbs 21, verse 23. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Keeps him, we, all, we all want to avoid trouble. We seem to find it soon enough. We all want to avoid trouble. And here's one way that we can do that. And that is certainly to follow the admonition that we find right here in verse 23. Put a guard on your mouth. It means to be alert. It means to uh, be on guard. And we can do that. And it's an individual responsibility. Nobody can control what you say but you. And certainly that's something that we should do. We should do. I won't turn there because we don't have time this afternoon, but I hope in your personal Bible study you'll read James chapter 3, where it talks about the tongue and how difficult it is to control, but how important it is to control. It's an important thing for us to know. Now, let's turn back to Romans, the writings of Paul, once again. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 29. Here Paul is talking about those who knew the truth of God and, and um, uh, gave it up. And the results of that, we pick it up in verse 29, being filled, breaking into the sentence here, with all unrighteousness, talking about really terrible things, some of the things we've read about already and talked about, uh, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, aren't terrible things, deceit, evil-mindedness, 
And right in the midst of all of those terrible things, they're whisperers. See, that goes along with it. That's a part of this attitude. It is a trait of evil. Verse 30, backbiters, haters of God, terrible, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. And you can go on in the subsequent verses where it, it lays out even more of that. But what we see here is that this, this, this business of being a whisper is an evil trait. It's not something that we as God's people should do at any time for all the reasons we've looked at. Now, you might think, well, this is, this is a, a teaching from the New Testament. But no, it, it's ancient. It goes way back. It's been the instruction from the beginning. Turn back to Leviticus. Leviticus 29. Here God was giving instruction to those Israelites long ago. Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, we'll begin in verse 16. We see in the earlier verses the commandments are listed. And then in picking it up in verse 16, he says, You shall not go about, Leviticus 19, verse 16, You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the eternal. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. Anciently, God knew that that would be terrible trouble. It would cause problems. And he said, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. Surely, you shall surely rebuke your neighbor. You can be plain spoken if there's a problem. And not bear any sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Anciently, that's what God wanted. And that's the theme, that's the rule that we see right down through Scripture. God instructed His people anciently on how to live together, and those principles certainly apply today. And we need to put those into practice. Now let's go on. Another point. Not only should we not be a whisperer, we should avoid contention. Meaning anger and arguments and disputes. It's counterproductive. It doesn't accomplish anything. Now, where does this come from? When you see anger and contention, where does that come from? We find the answer in Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. Proverbs 13, verse 10. By pride comes only contention. Where does contention come from, brethren? If you will look into it, in almost every case, I think you'll find pride is at the root of it. A good dose of humility, in most cases, would fix that. But pride brings contention. And if you see that, contention, that sort of thing, you'll find pride in it somewhere. Something that we should avoid. It goes on in this verse 10 and says, But with the well-advised is wisdom. Now, one who is well-advised is one who will listen. Someone said, it's what, you know, it's what you learn after you know it all that really counts. It's those, you see, who will listen, who are well advised, and who will uh, take the advice and then work around the situation so that contention can be avoided. Problems can be solved. And that's what we should be about. Look at Proverbs 17 going on. Proverbs 17, verse 14. Here's some good advice. Wonderful instruction. Proverbs 17, verse 14. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. We saw what happened when the levees broke in New Orleans and the water gushed out and caused all of that damage. That's the mental image that we have here. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. What's the admonition here? Stop before, the, before it gets out of hand. Before it gets to be a raging torrent. Before it causes damage. Stop, the scripture says. Good advice, brethren. Things that we should do. Going right on down in context. Verse 27. Verse 27 of Proverbs 17. He who has knowledge spares his words. You know, we all have on our say. We all want to make our point. 
But the wise person, it says, he who has knowledge spares his words. And a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. One who has his emotions under control. One who can be um, uh, calm in a situation where others might lose their temper or lose their cool, as we might say. Going on, verse 28. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. In the Revised Standard, it says, even a fool is counted wise when he's quiet. <laughs> so uh, uh, I've tried to put that into practice because uh, obviously uh, you don't want to be foolish. And one way to, to do that is to, is to be quiet. It says, when he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. Something that we can learn from, brethren. Hold your peace, particularly if the conversation is going in a direction that it shouldn't be going. If, if it involves things that uh, are going to result in um, an upheaval, an argument, uh, a difficulty, it's something that we should be aware of. And we can control our, what we say. Turn back to Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14, as we consider, avoiding contention. Proverbs 14, verse 15. Proverbs 14, we'll begin in verse 15. The simple believes every word, but the prudent man, see the person who's wise, person who's aware, the prudent man, the prudent person considers well his steps. A wise man fears and departs from evil. Young people, do you ever find yourself in a circumstance where things aren't going well? Maybe uh, the use of alcohol is getting out of control. Maybe something else is going on that you don't want to be a part of. Depart from evil. <laughs> you know, leave. You don't have to stay. But a fool, it says, rages and is self-confident. He who is quick-tempered acts foolishly. It's plain, brethren. It is foolish to be quick-tempered. And yet many of us are. I wrestle with that problem. You see, many of you do as well. Having a short fuse. You know, boiling over in a hurry. Scripture says... He who is quick-tempered acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. So certainly we want to be, uh, as we said earlier, of a calm spirit as we deal with this. Now, in Proverbs, we often it says something is good and then something is better. Let's see what's better. Turn over to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, verse 32. Proverbs 16. Verse 32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. See, it's, it's harder often to control your own temper and your own words and your own actions than it is to be in some great powerful position. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, rule meaning here to control, who controls his spirit, his attitude, his words, Better than uh, he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So it's important that we understand these things, brethren. That's why we go over them. That's why there's so much here. That's why there's so much in so many places that talk about this subject. It's because we need to grasp it and we need to learn to apply it. Turn over to uh, Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19. Same subject here. The hot temper. Proverbs 19, verse 19. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment. You know, a hot temper will keep you in hot water. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment. For if you deliver him, you'll have to do it again. We are creatures of habit. If we have that proclivity, if we have that bent, you see, then it will be a constant problem. And so that's not the way we should be. Then... Proverbs 22, again, I told you we'd look at lots of Proverbs today. Proverbs 22, verse 24. <clears throat> Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go. You see, don't go along. There are some people who are always on a crusade. Some people always have a complaint. You know, in the 60s, they carried signs and had protests, and some of that still goes on today. And yet, as God's people, you see, that's not our approach. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways 
and set a snare for your soul. A snare being a trap. You can get trapped into doing this. So don't get snared. Don't get trapped by someone else's bad attitude or their rebellious nature. It's very, very important. Then, brethren, back over to the New Testament. Turn to Ephesians. We see these things so plainly back in the ancient writings. And then we get over into the New Testament and we see these these principles are mirrored. This instruction is here as well. Ephesians 4. Verse 26. Over and over in Proverbs, we talk, it talked about anger and hot tempers and so on. And here we see Ephesians 4, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Now, sometimes righteous indignation, <laughs> there is righteous anger, but it's controlled. It's not out of control, you see. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, deal with it. Don't bottle it up. Don't save up. Work it out and deal with it. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. You see, Satan can use a person who nurses anger. These horrible things that occur, some of which we've experienced this year, all begin as a thought. And someone who nurses anger and rolls it around in their mind and says, what if, and if I did this, and on and on. You see, Satan, it says, can use that, nor give place to the devil. It's important that we no longer do those sorts of things. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, which would be loud quarreling, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, all anger. It's difficult, brethren, but it's an admonition for all of us. It's important instruction. We need to learn as God's people, to control that. Let's look at another point. I've already touched on it briefly, but avoid bitterness. The result of some of these things that we've talked about now is to develop, you see, this bitterness. Bitterness can destroy a person. Bitterness can take the fun out of life. It can take the fun out of relationships and cause a great deal of difficulty. Turn back to Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. We'll begin in verse 14. Hebrews 12. Verse 14. Paul wrote, Pursue peace with all men. See, not just your select few friends. With all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. What is our goal, brethren? We want to see the Lord. We want to be a part of His kingdom. We want to be in His family. And to do that, as it says here, we have to pursue peace and holiness. Verse 15, looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many, not a few, but many become defiled. Brethren, down through time, bitterness has caused much trouble. And because of that, many have lost their way. Many have left the church. Many have gotten back into uh, habits or activities or uh, pursuits that have destroyed them, at least spiritually. So it's important that we, we grasp that. If you look at this word defiled, it means contaminated. It means tainted. It means unfit, made unfit for holy use. Because our goal, you see, is to be a holy people. Something that God can use. Let's go back to Proverbs again. As we look at this subject of bitterness. Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14. Verse 10. Proverbs 14. Verse 10. It's written, the heart knows its own bitterness. Do we, do we perceive that, brethren? Bitterness is of the heart. The seed of emotion. You see, bitterness is of the heart. It affects the attitude. It affects your emotions. It affects your approach to life. It affects your approach to others. It's important. Bitterness is of 
the heart. And therefore, it's, it's something we have to control. And a stranger does not share its joy. We need to understand this, brethren, and realize the thoughts that come into our mind, the thoughts that we harbor and, and that we uh, deal with, the, the ones that we may nurture, are important. And we not, need not to nurture any kind of bitterness in our life. Now, where does uh, this bitterness come from? James, we've been looking at James in our Bible studies with Mr. Ames. Let's turn back to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 14. James chapter 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking or selfish ambition... In your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom, this sort of evil thing, you see, does not descend from above, but is earthy, sensual, demonic. So where does bitterness come from? Could be uh, the fleshly lust. It could be uh, the pulls of the flesh. It could be demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion And every evil thing will be there. So obviously it's something we want to avoid. And this bitterness is clearly identified as evil. So why do we talk about it on a lovely Sabbath when we come here together? It's because we need to be on guard. It's in the scriptures and we need to understand it. Now, David wrote about bitter words. Turn back to Psalm 64. David. The psalmist wrote about this eloquently as always. Psalm 64. Psalm 64. Hear my voice, O God, in my meditation, my complaint. Preserve my life from the fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who sharpen their tongue like a sword. You know, we have the expression, sharp words. You know, there's the old childish saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Words hurt. They hurt. Their tongue is like a sword. And bend their bows to shoot their arrows. Bitter words. They may shoot in secret at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who will see them? They devise iniquities. We have perfected a shrewd scheme, they say. Both the inward thought and the heart of a man are deep. But God will shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded. So he will make them stumble over their own tongue. Wonderful word picture. (laughs) So David, as I said, wrote about bitter words and how it had affected him. And it's preserved for us so we can see the fallacy and the problems that can come from bitter, bitter words. Let's look at one other scripture on this subject. Turn back to 1 Peter. Peter wrote about it. 1 Peter chapter 2. Looking at lots of scriptures today. They tell the story much better than I can. 1 Peter 2 verse 1. Peter wrote, therefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Do we see, brethren, that malice is a part of this bitterness? And Peter says, lay it aside. Don't carry it around. Don't nurture it. Get rid of it. Lay it aside. And in your own life and in your own heart, you're the only one that can do that. No one can do it for you. So if this has to be a problem or if this springs up in your life, take this admonition and lay it aside. Avoid bitterness. Let's go on to another point. Avoid getting even. Now this is certainly something that we as human beings want to do. It's built into, as you see, revenge. It's the natural reaction of human nature. It's the natural, normal, as we might say, thing to do. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. 
Proverbs 20, verse 22. It is written here, Do not say, I will repay evil. What does the proverb say? Don't do it. It's pretty plain. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord, and He will save you. You know, as human beings, we don't like to wait. (laughs) We want what we want, and we want it now. We want the person who's done us wrong to get it now. But the proverb says, wait for the Lord, and He will save you. It's an important principle. We develop patience. We put it into God's hands. God fights our battles for us. He certainly knows what you're going through. He certainly knows what you're exposed to. And certainly we have His promise that He will take care of it. Now, let's look at a New Testament example. Look over in Luke chapter 9. A colorful example. Luke chapter 9, verse 54. Here we see the disciples before they were converted, as it were. They had the human nature. They wanted to strike out. They wanted to strike back. Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, verse 54. Now, the background here is that Jesus and the disciples were on their way to Jerusalem and went through a village of the Samaritans. And they weren't accepted there. And so we pick up the story in verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to come in fire to come down from heaven and consume them? They said, Lord, let's burn them. (laughs) Just as Elijah did. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Christ was saying, No, not now, not in this time, in this place. You see, the disciples wanted to strike back. But Christ said, No. You know, sometimes we want to strike back. We want to lash out. Have the last word. When I was a boy, you had to get the last lick. It was important. (laughs) And yet as human beings, as Christians, we're not supposed to do that. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at the classic teaching on this subject. You know these words so well, brethren. You've memorized them. You study them. You understand them. But let's review them again today. Matthew 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, that's not normal. (laughs) That's not something you would naturally do. And yet Christ said, that's what we should do. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Now, I was raised that we should neither a borrower nor a lender be. (laughs) But when you get into that situation, if someone needs something that you have and asks for it, certainly we should, should follow this admonition. Going on, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's the normal thing, way to do it, you see. But I say to you, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Again, this is hard. And yet he says, That you may be be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you what do you do you bore than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall become perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. What he's saying here is don't retaliate. And brethren, as hard as it is, we need to put that into practice. Now, Paul elaborates on this and goes into great detail. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 gives us even more detailed instruction on this. Romans 12, verse 9. 
You can read the whole chapter. We'll break into the thought here in verse 9 of Romans 12. Let love be without hypocrisy. I think in the Revised Standard it says, Let love be genuine. And I like that better. Let love be genuine. The real thing. Not feigned. Not hypocritical. But the real thing. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Now, abhor and cling are powerful words. Abhor means to really be against it, you see. And cling means to hang on to what is good. And in this age that we live in, which is so shot full of evil, we have to hang, we have to cling, we have to hang on. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Now, human nature in the raw says, Number one is important. What's saying here is no, when you understand it, when you have a converted attitude, when you have God's Spirit guiding you, the other person is more important. That's what we have to work on. And honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. You know, everyone, whatever your circumstance, has tribulation you do have trials it could be sickness it could be financial it could be any number of things and yet we are as god's people to be patient in tribulation continue continuing steadfastly in prayer praying constantly distributing to the needs of the saints we've tried to do that in this recent disaster but we do it all the time anyway being certain that people have their basic needs met given to hospitality mean pursuing it Really being hospitable to others. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. It's not easy. Not easy. Somebody is, is persecuting you, giving you trouble to pray for them, to bless them. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Now that's the easy part. <laughs> you see, when, when everybody's happy, that's good. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, as the Living Church of God, we've done our share of weeping this year. We've lost wonderful people, from our vantage point at least, before their time. There is a time to weep, and we have done that. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. It means don't be conceited. Something we have to work on as human beings. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, and you can only do so much, but as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, he says, do not avenge yourself, but give rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Eternal. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. Again, as I say, this is not normal. You know, if it's your enemy, you may say, let him go hungry. But that's not what the scripture says. If your enemy hungers, feed him. If you thirst, give him a drink. And I always say, give him the good stuff. You say, don't, don't give him the muddy water. Don't give him the vinegar. Give him the good stuff. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Brethren, these uh, instructions are very important. It's very clear, brethren, that we should not become or be a whisperer, that we should avoid contention, avoid bitterness, and that we should not try to get even. It's not what we, as God people, should do. But now, as we go on here, there is something we should do. I've told you what we shouldn't do. What should we do? What is it that is required of us? What must we do, do in our daily walk with others? Let's look at the model prayer. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Christ was teaching the disciples to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Christ's words, In this manner, therefore, pray. So what we see is that Jesus Christ was giving them a blueprint for prayer. You know it by heart. Drop to verse 12. And forgive us in our prayer. This is what we're to ask. 
forgive us our debts, our transgressions, you see, as we forgive our debtors, those who have transgressed against us. So here we see that uh, we're to forgive our debtors. And it says here, as we read this, as we forgive our debtors. What does this mean, brethren? It means in the same manner. It means to the extent that you forgive others is the extent that you will receive forgiveness. So the amount of forgiveness you get depends upon how you forgive others. That's what it says. It's very important that we grasp that. Look down at verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. What do we want, brethren? We want forgiveness. I do. I know that each of you do. You want forgiveness. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Brethren, this is powerful. This, this is something that we need to understand. It says, if you forgive men, it's conditional. Very plainly, to obtain forgiveness, be forgiving. That's what the book says. It's very important, I think, that we understand that and that we wrap our mind around that. So, with this in mind, brethren, be willing to forgive. It's important. Look at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 15. Now, this is a scripture that gets a lot of lip service, but not much practice. Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, and it will happen, it happens as human beings, we do have these things occur. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. What's the object here? To make peace and to gain your brother. But if he will not hear you, and by the way, that happens. Sometimes people don't want to hear. They don't want to listen. Take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And hopefully you see that will work out and the man will listen. Verse 17, and if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Now, what usually happens in everyday practice is the offense occurs. And everybody goes to step three and tells it to the church. And this doesn't mean to all the church brethren. This means to the church leaders and so on to help them in their wisdom and being guided by the Holy Spirit to help find a solution. But people want to cut to the chase and say, I'll just tell everybody, rather than following this admonition. And as a result of that, problems can occur. It talks about offenses. When a brother or sister does wrong, it happens. And this is how we're supposed to handle it. So, brethren, let's... Let's work with this as, and, and put these things into practice. Now, going on down to verse 21. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture here. You just can see Peter, this impetuous man who's so enthusiastic. Peter, verse 21, says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Up to seven times? And I just have it figured out that Peter had somebody that had sinned against him seven times. <laughs> and he was ready to take him out. <laughs> Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times. And I'm sure Peter was aghast. More than that? But up to 70 times 70. Wow, 490 times? Now, I'm sure that this was for emphasis. <laughs> this is Christ was making the point to Peter. 490 times, meaning you're to forgive as often as necessary. That's what it means. As often as necessary, even to the ridiculous extent, you see, that that might happen. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain man who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Sometimes, brethren, we read over these expressions and we overlook, we might not really think about what they mean. When I was uh, just a boy, about uh, 12 or 13 years old, I had a paper route. And I threw the paper every day, had a couple of hundred customers, and I had to collect the money for the paper. And if I didn't collect the money, when it came time to settle accounts, I had to pay for the papers, you see. So there is a time you settle the account. Now, some of you have been involved in fundraisers in the church where you sell candy, and your kids maybe sell candy at school, 
And they don't sell the candy, they eat the candy. And then there comes the time to settle the account. <laughs> and there's no candy and there's no money, you see. So, you see, settling the account. And, and, you know, those of you that have a monthly expense account, there's a once a month, you settle accounts. See, it, it comes back. There comes a time, you see, when the master will settle accounts. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to whom who owed him 10,000 talents. That's a lot of money, way over my credit card limit. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down uh, before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. This master was forgiving. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Pretty small potatoes by comparison, you see. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. Do you have this mental image? He's got the guy with the throat. Saying, pay me what you owe. He didn't offer him terms, you notice. He just said, pay me. So this fellow fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay his debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should not you have also had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? So we see, verse 35, So my heavenly Father will also do to you, for each of you from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. A wonderful story, a powerful story that illustrates this really very, very important point, brethren, that we need to do. Look over at Luke 17. Luke 17 says something that just kind of puts us on guard. Luke 17, verse 1. Christ said to his disciples in Luke 17, verse 1, It is impossible that no offenses or stumbling blocks should come. So the point, brethren, is it's going to happen. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be surprised when some offense occurs. Don't be caught off guard. Christ went on and said, But woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Work it out. You see, that's what it's saying. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, that would be a lot. <laughs> that would not be a good day. And seven times in a day, he returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles at this point uh, asked for something they knew they were going to need if they had to do this, increase our faith. <laughs> so brethren, we should ask God to increase our faith. And give us the spiritual strength and so on to do these sorts of things. It's important. Verse 3, I want to look at again in 17. It says, take heed to yourselves. Brethren, that's a key. That's a key. Any of these things come up, examine yourself. You cannot change other people. You cannot make them forgiving. But you can take heed to yourself and control your attitude and be forgiving. It's very important. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 4 as we press ahead this afternoon. Ephesians 4, verse 32. We read the first part of this earlier. I want to finish this now in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 32. And be kind to one another. You know, kindness is a wonderful thing, particularly in close contact, in families, uh, in the community. Uh, when you're working with others it, and when you're dealing with others in whatever setting, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, not tough, not calloused, not cool, but tender-hearted, forgiving one another. That's the point. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ also forgave you. Brethren, as God's people, we're to be kind, not tough. We're to be tender and forgiving. It's the instruction that we have. Look over at Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. 
Colossians chapter 3, in verse 12. This is written to us. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, you know, only a handful are the elect of God. Billions of people on the face of the earth, and only a handful understand the truth. And hear these things that we're talking about today. And understand these things. And are led by the Spirit. Therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Just as we read in Ephesians. Kindnesses. Just as we read earlier. Humbleness of mind. Meekness. Long-suffering. Bearing with one another. Being willing to put up with each other. It's important. And it goes on and says... And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, and it will happen, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. The point, brethren, is it's not optional. It's a part of the program. It's what's required. It's not optional. It's what we must do as Christians. Now, a very important part of God's plan is forgiveness. For us to make it into God's kingdom requires His forgiveness for our sins through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And for us to have His forgiveness, we must forgive others. But there's something else we must do. There's something else we must do. We must forget. Turn back to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, verse 25. Verse 25 of Isaiah 43 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Talking about God here. I, and I will not remember your sins. What a wonderful thing to realize that we are forgiven and our sins are forgotten. Brethren, let's follow God's example. Let's follow God's example in doing this. Verse 26, put me in remembrance. What are you to remember? Remember God. Remember His ways. Remember His instruction. But don't remember all the garbage. Don't remember all of the other things you see. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. So God forgets those sins once they're forgiven. And we should as well. Look at Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. Verse 31. You know these scriptures so well. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, by covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Brethren, God will forgive and forget. And that's what we need to do and must do as God's people. Brethren, for my last scripture today, and we've looked at lots of them, please turn to Philippians chapter 3. Here we have a wonderful example of the Apostle Paul who went through so much in his Christian life, so much as he served God in those days. Philippians 3, verse 13. Paul wrote, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Brethren, he wasn't rehashing old hurts, old offenses. Paul reached forward, and so must we. Brethren, in these difficult times in the church, and we've had a difficult year, ask for God's help in putting these important principles to work in your life. Let's not be like the Hatfields and McCoys. Forgive 
and forget. And as did the Apostle Paul long ago, press toward the goal, toward the prize, eternal life in the coming kingdom of God. 